Man, but prepping, we are, we're, we're in a series called Prepping for, for Christmas, um, and we're talking about getting ready for, for Jesus coming. That's what Christmas is all about, the fact that he came. Um, you know, there, there's kind of this, this reality that the bigger the event, the more preparation is required, right? If you're um, just got a friend coming over uh, to, to have lunch, that doesn't require a ton of preparation. You know, maybe just make sure you got some food in the house. But, but if you're planning a wedding or even greater, uh, say a presidential inauguration, right? It, it takes months and months of, of planning and, 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 and scheduling and, and lots of people to put, put that thing together. And with Christmas, we're, we're looking at a time where we celebrate and remember the greatest event ever, Jesus coming to earth. Middle and high school, please go to your class. Now that you know what the adults are talking about, I totally did that on purpose. I didn't forget at all. I promise. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Uh, but we're talking about the, this, this preparation. And in this series, we've been looking at ways that we can be ready and open for Jesus to come into our lives. Because how many know Jesus didn't just come 2,000 years ago. He came then, and he came every day since then into your life, into my life, and into this world. And he, he continually looks to, to come to us, to, to relate with us. And so we've been looking in this series about ways that we can be, we can be open and, and receptive to, God's, to Jesus coming into our lives. And one of the, the, the most important ways we need to be ready for Jesus is the way that we interpret his coming. See, whether it's, it's Jesus working in our lives or our in-laws coming for dinner, sometimes the, the effects of an event, that the way they unfold, are more about our interpretation of the event than the event themselves, right? There, there, there are things that everything we experience, all of the things that we go through, um, have a large to do with our interpretation of that thing more than the thing itself, Right? Um, take any phrase. Uh, say, you know, someone says to you, oh, that's interesting. Well, <laughs> who says it? Your relationship to that person and what they're saying it about has a dramatic influence on how you interpret, how you receive that statement, right? You know, if, if you're talking about uh, some, some, new, some new TV show that you just watched and you're telling your friend, and they're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, you, you receive that as them, them taking your advice and, and, and maybe interested in what, what it is that you're sharing. If, if you walk into your, say, your, you know, uh, a work and, and a, a coworker who you don't necessarily get along with, you know, it's not your favorite person in the world walks in and they go, Oh, you're wearing that sweater. That's interesting. Your interpretation of that statement is going to be a little different, right? <laughs> See, it's all life is largely about the stories we tell about the things that we experience, sometimes even more than the experiences themselves. The same is true with with scripture. 
You know, Scripture is the inerrant Word of God. It is, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is powerful to affect our lives and to connect us to Jesus and to, to guide us in this life. It is absolute truth. It is the inspired Word of God. There is the truth of the Word of God. And then there's our perspective or interpretation of the Word of God. See, whenever we, we look at Scripture, um, there, I have, a, have an old teacher I used to say, anytime we, we look into Scripture, there's three things that we're really, we're really looking at. We're looking at the black on the page, the white on the page, and the red on the page. What, what did he mean by that? Well, it, it, it's just a great way to kind of conceptualize how we interpret things. The black on the page represents you know, the letters, the actual grammar, the syntax, the words that are being said the order in which they're in, what, what those words mean, right? That affects our understanding of what it is that we're, what it is that we're reading. That's the black on the page. The white on the page, you know, the, the letters sit on a white piece of paper. It's the background. And so that's the, that's the second part of, of this kind of understanding or interpreting Scripture. It's the, the background, the context in which those words were speaking, were spoken, right? That, that makes a big difference. Um, if you say something in one context, it can, like we just, I just gave the example, it can mean something very different than in another. So it's crucial that we understand the, the context and the background in which words were spoken. And then the third thing is the, the red on the page. What's the red on the page? Well, you know, if you can remember back or if you're in school now, the red on the page is, is the marks that we make, right? It's the teacher's little comments about the black on the page and the white on the page. It's, it, it, it's the things that we read into the Scripture. It's the things that, that we, from our own experience, kind of project onto what it is that we're reading. And we all do this. This isn't something that we can, we can avoid, but we, we can be aware of it. And so um, all these things together kind of come together and become what our interpretation of Scripture is. Sometimes we, we make ex- assumptions and create parts of a story that, that aren't really there. And uh, we're just, I'm going to give you two examples from, you know, we're in the Christmas season, from the Christmas story. And the first one is, you know, if I, if I asked everybody to, uh, you know, on a little quiz, how many wise men were there, many of us would say there were three. Right? Three wise men. It's in every picture, it's in every book, it's in every movie. The reality is, that's probably not true. We don't know how many wise men there were. The, that, that has actually just kind of evolved over time into the Christmas narrative because there were, the Bible says in Luke, it, it describes three gifts that were given. And so we kind of over the time in the, the telling of the story, that kind of morphed into three wise men. It's an assumption that we have read into the story. I'll give you another one. Uh, how did the shepherds... Find baby Jesus. The star, right? No. (laughs) 
No, the, it says, read, read that account. Luke 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, starting verse 10, it says, The angel reassured them, he's talking to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped in snugly, uh, wrapped in snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And then down in verse 16, it says, They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. There was the baby lying in the manger. There's no mention of a star. The star was actually the, the, the thing that led the wise men there. But we kind of, and I understand it's, you know, artistic license to kind of create a cohesive narrative that we can fit into 20 minutes on a cartoon. Um, we, we kind of put these things together, but that's not the actual count. We, we, we've, we've homogenized some things for, for the, the, the cohesiveness of the story, but we've lost some accuracy. So how did we end up with three wise men and shepherds following a star? Well, somewhere along the way, someone made an assumption, and it was passed on to the next person. Someone seemed to make a logical conclusion, and everyone just took it as, as truth. Someone made a mistake either in the black on the page or the white on the page or in their own red they put on the page. Now, in these stories, the consequence is, is minimal, right? Uh, whether there were three or five or two or 70 wise men, or whether the, the shepherds followed a star or just went door to door to, to find baby Jesus, none of, no one's going to hell whether they believe one or the other of these things, right? This is not, uh, this is not central to our, our, our eternal security. But here's the thing. We do at times do the same thing with the stories the Lord is writing in our own lives. And those can have much more significant consequences. We make assumptions about the connections between the events that we see in our lives and the, 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 the things that we, we, we are uh, attempting to do. We misunderstand the instructions that, some, that someone's giving to us. We, we make judgments about one person based on how uh, someone else in our past has treated us. And these types of misinterpretations, misunderstandings can be devastating to our relationship with, with each other and to our relationship with the Lord. But as we allow Jesus to come, as we, we embrace him, as he more and more becomes Emmanuel in our lives, God with us, those things, our interpretation of the stories that we're living out can become more and more clear. We can see them for what they are more and more. Because John describes Jesus in a great way in chapter, John chapter 1 when his, kind of his, you know, the, the, the gospel of John is just, it's like the other guy. You know, you got, uh, there's four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
tend to like hang out together when it comes to their, their version of, 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 or their perspective on, on Jesus and his life. And then you've got John, who uh, is kind of always standing aside, and they're not in conflict by any stretch, but John comes at who Jesus is in, from such a different angle. It, 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 it's such a, a heart. He gets to the, he's not so much concerned with the where and the, the who and the why of Jesus' life and ministry. John focuses on, on almost the, the cosmic, uh, the cosmic version of what, what Jesus was here to do. And, and we see that even in his kind of his version of, of the Christmas account in John chapter one, starting in verse one, it's familiar to you, I'm sure. He says, In the beginning was the word. And the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. If we jump down to 14, he says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Listen, Jesus has come, is coming, and will come to you. And part of what he's coming to do is to guide us through the misinterpretations of our own life. That's why John calls him the word, the logos, the truth. It's the same word that we use when we talk about scripture. It's Jesus has come to shine a light onto our own lives. And as he does, we get a, a clearer picture of, of what's really going on. Our perspective changes. Listen, truth doesn't change. Truth is truth. We do the changing. As Jesus comes into us, as we we learn to partner with him, as we see things through his eyes, we start seeing things more more and more clearly. It's It's like TVs over the years. You know, it's 50 years ago we had... Black and white TVs. Now, have you ever noticed even more, more, um, more recently? Have you ever noticed? You think your TV is really a clear picture, right? We we like our TVs. We like it. It looks so good and it looks so crisp and clean. Um, but have you have you seen like a, a video or ever gone back to versions of TV? Like watch the tube TV that you grew up with now. You're like, it just looks like blurs and blobs. And you're just like, how did I ever think that that was clear? Because now I have this other, oh, this is clarity. And it's so amazing. And the picture is so crisp, but I can see it all. But how many know, you know, in, in another three years, they're going to come out with three more versions of TV. And we're going to be up to, I don't know, whatever letter they want to put on it. Um, you know, super extra Z. HD TV, and we're going to be able to see, you know, the, the freckles on somebody's face from 50 yards away or, you know, re- read the, the credit card numbers in their, their wallet in their pocket or something. It's going to be, and, and that's, we're going to get to that and we're going to look at what we look at right now and say, man, that is such a clear picture. And we're going to go, how did I ever think that that was clear? How did I ever think that that was the, the, the clearest that I could see? It's how our lives work as we, we follow Jesus, as he comes into our life, if we, if we partner with him, if we allow his coming to change the way we see the stories that we live out. 
And so this morning, I want to just share with us um, some of the core, I have four kind of core verses, really, um, that give us four of the core truths that Jesus uses to filter our perception of our stories that we live out. That makes sense. These are our verses that we, if we will, and, and cliche warning, these are all verses you've heard a million times. You, you've probably, if you don't have all these memorized, I, that, that's your homework for today, is memorize the, the, the verses that we're going to go over today. They are, they are cliche, and sometimes in that we can, lose, um, we can lose the power of them. But the reason they're cliche is because they're so foundational. They are so important to apply. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these, and each one of them gives us a truth that if we would take these four truths and lay them over, use them as kind of a filter when we're looking at our lives, when we're looking at the situations we find ourselves, when we, if we would use them and we're trying to figure out where we fit in our story and where God is in our story, they will bring much, much clarity and so, again, there's, there's just four of them, and then we're going to, you know, go eat some lunch. Um, <laughs> but but they're, they're, they're crucial, they're important. So let's just, let's just jump right into them. So number one, um, and the statement here is, is simply this, God loves me, and he likes me. Okay? God loves you and he likes you. This is, this is probably, again, ultra simplistic. But if this is not a foundational thought in your mind when you're looking at life, when you're looking at the things that are happening to you, you are never going to have clarity about why and what Jesus is doing in your life. God loves you and he likes you. This isn't like an obligatory, yes, I love, you know, like, like your kids do when they're in that phase where they, you know, they, they can't stand each other and they're they like, they, yes, we love each other because we have to, but they don't ever, but they don't really like each other, right? <laughs> this is not that kind of love and like. God loves you and likes you. Romans 8, 38 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will able be able to be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus loves you. He is passionate about you, about knowing you, about you knowing him. And maybe the most famous of all verses, it's the only verse that makes it into just about every sporting event on the, on, on the United States, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Listen, God could have chosen to let creation just play out after the fall. 
He could have. It would have been completely in his right. It wouldn't have diminished him at all. It wouldn't have left him lacking. It wouldn't have violated his, his character. He would have been completely justified to just say, well, I set you guys up really well and you blew it. Good luck with that. And just walked away and let the whole thing implode. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose to come to us, to become Emmanuel, to go through all of it, through, it, through, through the, 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 the manger to the cross, just because he loved us, just because he loved you. And if this isn't a, a driving fundamental thought that crosses our mind whenever we're trying to figure out what God is up to in our life, we are always going to misinterpret what is going on. Do you believe that God loves you, even in your worst moment? That it's not this up and down sort of thing. That if you're good, he, he you know, he, he's happy with you, and if you're bad, he, he's ready to, you know, he's this close to kicking you out the door. That's that's not that's not the God that we know. So that's our first filter: that God loves us and He likes us. Second one: God gave us all dominion. God gave us all dominion. Genesis chapter 2 says, the, the, the Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Those, those phrases, tend and watch over it, they're, 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 they're phrases that talk about um, rights, responsibilities, and authority. God gave man authority on the earth. We see this a little bit later in the Genesis account in chapter 11. Um, Starting in verse 5, it says, But the Lord came down and looked at the city. This is the city of, the, remember the story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity decided that it wanted to stay together despite God's instructions to go out and be fruitful and multiply. And they decided to build this tower up to heaven. And, and this is the, the, the Lord's response. He says, He looked at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. God, when he created us, it says he created us in his image. And part of, part of the image that he created us in is the ability to, to create. Now, it's delegated. It's not, we're, we're not God, obviously. But he chose to give us the ability to affect and rule and authority here on earth. And because of that, we individually and collectively have the ability to delay and diminish God's best good plans for our lives and for the lives of other people. Unfortunately, you have an effect on my life. <laughs> the government has authority and effect on my life. Other nations have authority and effect on our lives. This is, this, is, this is the system that was set up. And this is a very important thing that we have to fully grasp and use regularly as a filter. Because if we don't, if we, if we, if we buy into the idea that 
that if I, if, I, if I love God and God really loves me and if I do all the things I'm supposed to, then I should have this, this layer of protection around me that it doesn't matter what anything else happens, that God, will, God will, will, will preserve me from ever experiencing any sort of suffering, we're going to find ourselves in, in, in a very, um, we're going to be confused a lot. Because this is true. There is suffering in the world. There is pain. We will experience pain. There, the, because we have dominion, God's good plans don't always come to full fruition. Now that is weird to understand and hard to accept, but it's, it's, it's the truth. That God has, has chosen to give us, it's probably it's like one of the... To me, it's one of the worst ideas ever. He gave us authority. <laughs> We're, it's like, you know, it's like me giving Cohen and Gracie, you know, complete control of the house for a few days. That's not going to go well. Um, but that's in, in His wisdom. That's what God chose to do, and we can we'll save for another day all the the reasons why that is and the, the good side of it. But but the reality of it is important that we accept it and that we use that as a filter because if we don't, we will end up blaming. We, if you remove that from your, your evaluation, what you get left with is anytime I experience suffering or pain or anytime somebody else experiences suffering or pain, I have to now figure out who's at fault. I either have to blame God or I have to blame myself. Right? Because if everything's supposed to work out, if I have all, if God has all the authority, or it's just between the two of us, then, then, then one of us messed up. And sometimes that's just not the case. We live in a fallen world, and we live with fallen people. And so we have to accept and allow for that reality in our, our perspective of what's going on. Number three, there is nothing that Jesus wants you to do that you can't do. There is nothing that Jesus wants you to do that you can't do. Philippians 4.13 says that, For I, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. What an encouraging verse. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This verse... Um, Gets a lot out of the, the a lot of out of context usage, right? <laughs> we see this verse used um, to, to to justify and almost as like a, a just a, a motivation that I can I can do anything. Um, but listen, that's that's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying that you can do anything you want and Jesus will give you the strength to do it. That is that is that is bad exegesis. Uh, I wish we would stop lying to our, uh, ourselves and our children, right? Let's, parents, just a piece of advice. Don't tell your kids they can be anything they want. They can't. You can't. Right? You got you got this wonderful, sweet child, you know, maybe they're 12 years old. And they're talking, they want to be, you know, they want to, they want to be the next Grammy star. But they're tone deaf and asthmatic. Don't tell that kid. 
go for your dreams. You can do anything through Christ who gives you strength. No, that is not the way this is set up. Jesus gives us the strength to do everything that he wants us to do. It's a completely reversal of who's driving the train. Let's in, we need to put ourselves in a mindset, especially when it comes to our kids, let's focus on figuring out and finding out what, what is it that God has put in them that he has, he has designed them for and then encourage that. Same with our own lives. There are things that God has put in you and and as long as it's something that you know Jesus wants for you, now I can have confidence. Now I, now I can apply this verse and say, I can do it no matter what. I can do it because I know that this is something that Jesus wants me to do. If you know that Jesus wants you to not be so judgmental, then you can be. When we apply, which when we apply it, it, this to our own lives, we're confronted with, with something we feel, when we're confronted with something we feel like we can't do, that we know is right, and Jesus is calling us to do it, there's kind of three, we get to a fork in the road, and there's kind of three forks that we have to choose one of these, and this, this, the, the true understanding of this verse can help us. Um, and we get to this fork, and here's the fork. There's either more that you have to give to see that thing accomplished, you haven't made that thing a big enough priority in your life. That's a possibility. You know, I'm, I'm come, I, I believe with all my heart, I know Jesus wants me to, to, to do X. Wants me to, you know, conquer this sin. Or, or I know that he's, he's, he's called me to, to have patience with my kid. Or, or I, I, you know, in my job, I know he, he wants me to, 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 to be a, a, a diligent worker. The first option is that that we're just you're just we haven't made it enough of a priority. God is giving us the strength, but we we're being lazy about it. That's the first the first fork in the road. Is that is that what's going on here? Number two, uh, you're making progress and it's still in process, and we just need to see it. Sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. We're just too impatient. God is seeing you through. You are overcoming. You are making progress, but we, we, we get so, sometimes we, we want it to be faster or, or happen a lot quicker than, than we think, or we, we think we should be all the way over here and we're still right here, but we are making progress. So that's the second option. Sometimes we're just not satisfied. We're, we're not willing to accept the fact that we, we are making strides. And here's the third one, and this one's what I think happens um, a lot more often than we recognize, and that's sometimes the, the option is if, if Jesus will empower us to do everything that he calls us to do, and we can't do something, sometimes the answer is, you're wrong that Jesus called you to do it. Right, now... Sometimes we look at our lives and we go, I just can't do all this. I just can't do it. Well, sometimes the answer is, I feel like that, you know, the Lord's sitting there going, I, there's like 17 things on your list that aren't on mine. Right? Now, I will say this. This is a dangerous point to make in church because, so 
I'm putting my phone off the hook. Don't call me this week and say that you're, you're, you know, you're busy and so you feel like you, know, you, you have to re- resign from the, the, the serving at the church. That's not... <laughs> just kidding. That's, that's always what I'm talking about. Um, but there are times where they're good things. A lot of times they're good things. But they're not, but not everything that is good is something that you are called to, especially all the time. And so one of the things that this particular filter does is it, it forces us to really be honest about what are the things that God wants me to do and wants me to be doing in this season, you know? God probably doesn't care um, if your house is immaculate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> Glory. Um, and so if that, is, if that is causing you significant stress and anxiety and, and just wearing you out and, and to the point where, you know, it, it's, you look, if you're honest, you look and go, you know, the quality of my relationships with my family is struggling because I'm having so much conflict trying to get this, this whole house back to this pristine place, then maybe your standard is one that you've set and Jesus hasn't. We can do anything that God, that Jesus has called us to do. But we can't do just anything. Number four. I don't have to need, I don't need complete understanding to practice complete obedience. I don't need complete understanding to practice complete obedience. And we see this in, in Hebrews chapter 11, um, starting in verse 1. It says, faith is the confidence that we, we hope for what will actually happen, and it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the, the people in the old days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that we... That What we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And it goes on to give example after example of people who in the Bible that were obedient even though they didn't really understand what was fully going on. God says to Abraham, you know, Abraham's old and he's lived a good life and he's hanging out in Ur, wherever that is. And uh, God shows up to him one day and says, Abe, I, I want you to, you're super old, but I want you to move to this other place. I, don't worry about where it is. Just get going. And at some point, I'm going to bless you with, with, with a whole bunch of kids. Never mind the fact that you are, you know, in your 90s. That's neither here nor there. Um, this, is, this is the message that, that God, and Abraham does it. Do you think he really understood what God was, was really conveying to him, what the mission was, how it was all going to play out? No, of course not. And there were times along the way where he misstepped, and, and there are times where he, he, he questioned, and God had to reassure him, and, and all this stuff, but he got moving. He didn't let his misunderstanding or his lack of, lack of perspective, his lack of understanding stop him from, from doing the things that he did know he was supposed to do. He knew he was supposed to pack his stuff up, get it on the camels, and start heading in a direction, even if he didn't know where the destination was. Verse 
You know, God says to Noah, I want you, hey, I want you to build an ark and we're going to fill it with animals because I'm sending a flood. And Noah says, okay, Lord, um, what's a flood? Because it hadn't rained before. <laughs> he didn't, they didn't have any concept or understanding. There was no way he could, have, he could have really understood what it was that God was up to. But it didn't stop him from being faithful and obeying and doing the things that God had told him to do. On and on we see examples of people who obeyed before they fully understood. This is a powerful filter in life because... If we wait for understanding, we'll never get to obedience in a lot of the most significant things in our life. Because we are called to a walk of faith. I mean, that's what we call it, right? We call it our faith. <laughs> and, and, and the problem, the problem with, with faith is, well, it requires faith. You can't you can't, oh, 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 if you're just obeying up to the level of your understanding, you're not really walking in faith. You're walking in like a, a agreement, right? Because now I'm making an evaluation. I, okay, you understand, you, God, you give me all the instructions. I understand the instructions. Uh, okay, I get that. I agree to it. Now I can, now I can move. That's not faith. And so the Lord in his wisdom will always have steps for us to take where the step, we know the step, we just don't understand the why behind it. Or we don't necessarily understand the consequence of taking the step. And that's great because that's opportunities for us to exercise our faith, to be faithful. And so if we would take these four, if we'll take these filters, these, these verses that we all, we all have, have known for years and learn to apply them in the situations that, that, that the stories that we find ourselves in, we will end up with a much clearer picture of what's going on in our lives, what God is up to in our lives. How Jesus wants to come and, 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 and dwell with us. See, we may not know all the details. We may not know the, the specifics. But we'll know. I know. I don't know what God. I don't know what you're doing. But as long as I know that you love me and you like me. I can trust it. And I know if I, if I realize that I am a limited person. I can't do everything that if I focus and I find out what it is that you want me to do, I can now find a specific path for my life instead of just wandering around trying to find, trying to try everything to figure out what works for me. And if I understand that I don't need to completely understand everything, if I let go of that, that perspective, if I let go of that, that really that lie, I can begin to make steps of faith that will get me a whole lot further than my understanding ever will. And so this is the, these are the filters that we need when we look, look at our lives. Because Jesus is intent on coming into our lives, but we have to, we have to be ready. We have to prepare ourselves to be able to see where, what the areas are that he's actually coming into 
in the way he comes in. Because if we misinterpret them, sometimes we can actually run from areas that God is trying to come into because we misread the situation. I don't know, but I have this with my kids sometimes. I, um, I'll, uh, you know, they'll be doing something, and, and I'll ask a question about what it is that they're doing. And I don't know, sometimes maybe, I don't know if it's my tone or whatever, but, but they will read into what I'm saying as they're in trouble. Right? Because <laughs> maybe I'm in a good mood and I'm being silly, but it came out a little more, you know, I don't know. They, maybe they thought what they were. Sometimes you ever have, sometimes with kids, they, they do, they're doing something and they think maybe they're not supposed to, even though they, it's okay. And sometimes in those moments, you know, you catch them doing, doing the thing and it's funny or whatever. And you're just like, Kobe, what are you doing? And he's like, ah, nothing. <laughs> you know, and he's like, it, it, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. But he, mis- he misunderstood my, 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 my own body language or my words or my tone or whatever. And it caused him to react and to shrink and to get defensive. Instead of us just being able to have a good, a good connection, a good meeting, a good moment about whatever it is he was doing. The same, is, the same thing happens in our lives when we, when we misplace or don't apply these filters. And we forget that in everything God loves us. And so this is how we prepare for God's coming. As we wash our, and filter our lives through the truth of Scripture, as we allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to show us how Jesus is working in our lives and wants to continue to work in our lives, we get more clarity. And so I encourage you this week to reread these scriptures. If, if there's any of these that you haven't memorized, I encourage you to, to memorize them. There's not a, not a bunch of them, but these are foundational truths that, that, you know, the Word of God says that if we hide His Word in our heart, what happens is it, it gives the Holy Spirit that's within us the, the, the ammunition to bring it to our minds when we need it so that we can apply it in the right time. But if we, don't, if we don't hide it, if we don't feed our minds, if we don't have these things buried in us, it's really hard for God to dig them out and, and show them to us when we, when we need them. And so I encourage you, make it, make it your goal, maybe by Christmas, to have all of these kind of these core verses memorized. And you'll be surprised at how often God can bring them back in a, in a timely manner when, when, you need to, when you need to remember them. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning. God, we thank you for, for the holiday season. We thank you that we were able to... to to take an extended amount of, of time and days to focus on family and focus on, on the amazing um, coming of, of, of you into our lives and into this world. Jesus, as we've, we've been spending these last couple of weeks just looking and thinking about how we can, we can make room for you more and more in our hearts and our minds. Would you continue to Knock on the doors of our hearts. 
God, let this, this Christmas season be, be a, a special one for us. Let this one be one not just where, where it was the best family or the best cookies or the best presents, but it was, it was the, the most we've ever felt your presence. Because that's really the only thing that, that is going to have a lasting impact in our life and the only thing that's going to bring the, the joy and the peace that this holiday is, is really all about. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Before you go, I didn't do announcements, so I'll just, real quick. Uh, today, after church, we're having a 